So this morning, um, we're going to just start with a little um, activity. Don't groan at me, okay? Um, But it's just going to be a little way to get to know some of your neighbors um, as we're talking about the art of neighboring. And here's the two rules. I'm not going to even make you stand up. You can sit right where you are. Just your arm has to operate, okay? So everyone just practice. Right arm up. Okay, right arm down. Right arm up. Okay, that's all. That's, that's it. That's all that's going to happen. And, uh, but you do have to be really, really honest or it won't be any fun. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to list a standard fear um, that people deal with. And if you are fearful of that thing, if you would say, yes, this is something that I worry about, you're going to keep your hand up and the people next to you are going to look at you and go, oh, ha, 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 I did too. And if you do not feel like you fear that thing, like you have that in the bag, you can put your hand down. Okay? Everybody got it? All right. So raise your right hand. Okay? I solemnly swear I'm going to play this game. My pastor's making me play. Um, Public speaking. If you can, if you just, you get really nervous to public speak, keep your hand up. If you're like, it's in the bag for me, put your hand down. All right. Actually, I I get really nervous before I come up here every time. How about that? So I'll keep my hand up. Good job. Okay, look at your neighbor and say, good job. You survived the first round. All right, next one. Hand up. Flying on an airplane. Keep it up if you're like, I have to take, like, Dramamine to stay on that airplane. Keep, put your hand down if you're like, no, no problem, no problem. All right. There's a lot of us. Okay, you can put your hand down. Uh, everyone put their hand up. Roller coasters. Roller coasters. Keep it up if you're like, you are not dragging me any day of the week on one of those. All right. Put your hand down if you're like, I'll go on anything. How many of you, that one changed over the course of your life? Anybody? Like, I used to do it, and now, like, my equilibrium is way off. I'm over 40. That's how I feel. Okay, uh, next thing. Hand up. Spiders. Anybody? (laughs) Put your hand down if you'll kill one. If you're the person they call... There's a spider. I need you to come. Put your hand down. If you are the person calling the person, keep your hand up. Oh, that's funny. All right, just a couple more. Put your hand down. Put your hand down. Okay. All right, hand up. Furry things like mice or, or some of you are like, I can do. F- if you can do furry things, put your hand down. All right, I would rather kill a spider any day of the week. You put a mouse in my house, it's over. Game over for me. All right, put your hands down. All right, two more. Hand up. Needles. Who is like, I cannot do the needle? All right. Funny story. (laughs) Bill is over here like waving his arms. I I recently had to get blood work taken. Joel was with me. I can tell him the story because he's not here today. He was, his head was between his knees, breathing. I was getting the blood taken, okay? He's hyperventilating in the corner. And I'm, anyway. All right, last one, hands up. Uh, The dark. How many of you are like, I can't do the dark? You still sleep with the nightlight. It's okay, it's all right. All right. All right, thank you for playing. You know, fear... Fear can make us do funny things. Like I mentioned, I have watched grown women shriek in horror at the spider the size of a penny, okay? Some of you are like, that's me. That is, that is exactly me. I've talked to people who won't let their hand or their foot slip off the bed because they're afraid something will eat it. 
I mean, like, rationally, it doesn't make any sense, but in the night, it really freaks them out. For some of us, every noise you hear in a dark house is a gunshot, a break-in, right? Heavy breathing, it's just the dishwasher, <laughs> you know, but, but this, I can't say I have an experience. But our hearts really respond to fear sometimes in even more difficult ways. We decide against applying for a job because we're afraid of failing. Like we don't even apply for the job because we don't want to be rejected. We quit trying because we're afraid that we won't succeed. So we just completely take ourselves out of the game. We don't enter into meaningful relationships because we are afraid if our real selves are exposed, people might not even like us. We're afraid of never amounting to anything, so we don't even try. We're afraid to be alone, so we enter into a relationship that's maybe just mediocre or isn't God-honoring, but it's better than being alone. We don't pursue God fully because we're afraid that we will have to give up things that are easy or convenient. And here we are, grown men and grown women, with our lives before us, imprisoned, stopped, dead in our tracks, limited, and frozen, all because of this thing called fear. Now, today we're in week three of this Art of Neighboring series. If you haven't got this book yet, um, we're, you can buy it in the lobby for $5. If that's trouble for you, let us know. We'd love to gift you one. But um, we're talking about the Art of Neighboring. We're doing this along with five churches in the city, nine locations. So there's about, I think, uh, several thousand of us in the city going through this exact thing. And what we're talking about today is the fear factor as it relates to neighboring. And I would like to just start by talking about fear in general, fear in a broader context, not just as it relates to neighboring. And you know, we sort of talked about some of those basic things, spiders and mice in the dark and roller coasters and all that stuff. But, but really, fear is very real in our lives. I mean, we fear our health. We fear our well-being. We're, we're constantly bombarded with messages um, about how risky it is uh, that we live today. The awareness of, of the danger in just our country and in, in things in our world. We, we fear for our families. I mean, I can't be the only parent who has followed the school bus to their child's school on the first day of school just to make sure. Okay, maybe I am, but <laughs> just to make sure that they get there. We, we fear, you know, uh, even things about our children, even when they're 30 and 40 and, and 50 years old. You lay awake at night and worry about the decisions they're going to make. We fear our future. Do we save enough money? Are we ever going to be able to retire? How are we going to afford college? Will our children marry the right people? And we could go on, but, but this fear, this worry, is a big part of our lives. And it's fascinating. If you look in the Bible, if you look in the biblical narrative, um, where fear first shows up, and we first encounter the concept of fear in Genesis. So in the very beginning, Genesis 3.10, when following Adam and Eve's choice to obey God's command, they are found hiding from God. So in Genesis 3, they're found hiding from God. And when discovered by God, Adam's response is that he was naked and afraid. So fear makes its appearance as a result of the fall. Fear makes its appearance as a result of the fall. And fear enters the biblical narrative in a tragic moment. 
From a theological perspective, fear arises as something fundamentally shifts in Adam and Eve's relationship with God. More specifically, Adam and Eve's perspective on who God is. Because what happens is the realities are the same. Adam and Eve were naked before the fall. Okay, they were naked after the fall. That's the same. God was the same before and after the fall. So the only thing that changed was the perspective of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve's eyes have been opened and they view themselves and God no longer through the lens of God's rule and reign and perfect authority, but through this lens of freedom and lens of autonomy and lens that they have to figure out how to do life on their own, which was false, but the enemy distorted that viewpoint. And this becomes a very scary place to live. The scripture says Adam and Eve are then naked and afraid. And this morning I'm wondering how many of us uh, facing our current realities, facing our current day to day, have these sort of naked and afraid moments. Now, not tangibly, but, but feeling defenseless and worried feeling unequipped and terrified, feeling under-resourced and anxious, feeling like we wake up and the day controls us, the circumstances control us, we don't control the day. Fear enters the human equation, at least from a theological perspective, as a result of the human tragedy. But here is the life-changing truth today, is that one of God's primary purposes in salvation history is to eradicate fear. That's one of his primary purposes. He says that to us. We find uh, this command from the very mouth of God. He says, fear not. I'm coming up against this thing that I saw leak into the reality of the world. And God is the same as when he was when he created Adam and Eve and they were perfectly secure and perfectly comfortable and perfectly unfearful. And his goal is every day to remind humanity that he is the same God and we have no reason to fear. And he puts a lot of effort into that. In fact, Jesus repeatedly told his disciples this, fear not, don't be afraid. Fear not, don't be afraid. This was important. God knew we dealt with this. And it was important that God came up against that. Why do you think the eradication of fear is so critical? Why do you think that God is, is on the move all the time to try to get rid of fear? How do you think it affects us? That question, I believe, can best be answered through a story in the Old Testament. And you may remember God's promise to the nation of Israel began with Abraham. And Abraham was told that he was going to make them into a great nation. God was going to make them into a great nation, which involved giving them their own land. And that when they had their own land, that would be the launching point for God's redemptive activity in the world. That this would be a specific land that they would uh, find purpose in and value. And the land was good, excuse me, in the culture of the land, it needed redeemed. And by giving Israel this land, which was the land of Canaan, they would not only possess something good, but they would become agents of redemption for the culture. That this would be a corner of the, of, of the country that would then rise up out of there, the redemption story for all of, all of the, the country to see, all of the world to see. And so they came to the edge of Canaan, and they decided to send some spies or some scouts in to check out the land. You might remember this story. And here's what happens. 
Um, the story's recorded in Numbers 13, 26 through 33, so follow along with me as I read. It says, um, so they sent the spies in, and they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them and to the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. So theologians believe they brought something back. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. It was kind of like, here's the good news, and here's the bad news. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Now that is the voice of a, of, a, of a man who understood God's power and God's sovereignty in the face of, of fear. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we see there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in their own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Ten spies are afraid. In actuality, probably all 12 spies were afraid of what they saw. But two of the ten spies chose to act in spite of their fear. They chose to overcome their fear, and they urged the people with God's help and power to possess the land. Joshua and Caleb are those two spies that we see there in that scripture, and they urged the people of Israel to embrace what God has for them and to enter the land as agents of redemption for the culture of the land. Now, if we, if we were to continue to read this in Numbers, we would read how the story ends and it probably doesn't end the way you might guess. The people actually listen to the ten instead of the two. Which, by the way, is a reason that popular votes are not always the best means to determine God's purpose, right? Because that doesn't always mean when the majority is telling you not to do something that you aren't supposed to do it. But because of fear, the people are robbed of the joy of possessing the promised land. They were one step away from all that God wanted for them. One step away, one decision away. But they let the report of the ten men who were afraid stop them. So why is the eradication of fear so important? Because fear robs us of God's blessings. Fear keeps us out of the purposes of God. It keeps us out of his destiny for us. Fear keeps us from all that God has to, to offer us, all the milk and the honey and the, and the overabundance of blessings because we look in there and we see the, the things that could go wrong versus all the things that could go right. So this, this brings us, as fear relates, to this neighboring thing. This may seem simple, but there is a lot at stake in what we've been talking about over the past four weeks. You might think, okay, I, I know this. Like, I know how to be a good friend. I know how to be a good neighbor. Why is this so important? Why is this such a big deal? But being good neighbors, working life by life and heart by heart, is where the battle is won or lost. That is where the battle is won or lost. It's great that, that he first has this 
wonderful facility and, and we have a, a talented worship team and, and we have the capacity to put on powerful weekend worship experiences and, and, and top shelf programming with a staff that loves you guys and, and thinks all week long and prays for you and tries to think of the best way possible that we can help the kingdom of God. That's amazing. But the truth is, the battle ha- has always been and always will be won and lost life by life and heart by heart. And and Jesus shows us that over and over and over. He goes to the one, he goes to the one, he goes to the one. It's almost infuriating. Show us how to plan a revival, you know? And he says, no, no, I'm not talking about the masses. I'm talking about the one and the one and the one and the one because life change happens heart by heart and life by life. And so when Jesus tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves, perhaps he really knew what he was talking about. When he realized that when that fear keeps us from loving our neighbor as ourselves and having those conversations, it keeps us from affecting or influencing, it robs us, it rips us off of the blessing and the purpose and the destiny that God has for us, and not just for us, but for our neighbors. And so when the fear that you have keeps you from sharing the redemptive message with other people, the blessing for that other person could actually be robbed because of your fear. We are his plan. We are his plan to spread the good news and the gospel and the redemption of who he is. We're his plan. There's no backup plan. We're it. And so when you let fear rob you of taking those opportunities or taking those steps, it can debunk that plan and that blessing and that purpose. So what is so fearful about neighboring? Well, I was thinking about things in my life that, that gives me that fear of doing the, what art of neighboring calls me to engage in. And I came up with just a couple things, and I wonder if you, could, if you agree with me, if you feel these ways too. Uh, the first thing that we can fear in, in neighboring or sharing our faith with others is rejection. And I think we all fear rejection on some level. Uh, what if our neighbors don't like us? What if they reject us? What if they think we're like some awkward, aggressive Christian trying to, you know, convert them? Uh, what if they just think we're awkward, you know? How, what, what am I going to feel like? It's interesting, in the Old Testament, there's a guy um, who had the potential to be one of the greatest kings of all time, King Saul. But the scripture says his greatest weakness is that he was paralyzed with the fear of being rejected. The scripture says he was always wondering, what are people going to think? Are they going to like me? Are they going to follow me? In fact, at one point, we see in 1 Samuel 15, 24, uh, he says, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command. I was afraid of the people, so I gave into them. He's confessing it from his very lips. And I, I have to ask this question to us today. How often do we do that? How often are we afraid of what people think? So rather than doing the right thing, we do the thing that they would want or the thing that doesn't ruffle any feathers or the thing that we think they want us to do or the thing we think they want us to say. Just like King Saul. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. It's a trap. Fear of rejection is a trap. And it's a trap that robs us of our own spiritual life and reaching out to other people. The second thing that I fear is judgment. 
judgment. Um, This is something we need to think about really carefully because we often fear the critical evaluation of our current friends and family. Because when it comes to loving our neighbor, we quickly realize that many of them are not like us. Many of them are not like us. And truthfully, they may not even be the kind of people we would necessarily find ourselves associating with. They may not share our values. They may not share our beliefs or our social standing. They may not fit in the rest of our our peer group. And so what will it look like? What will it feel like when we invite them to a party when all of our other friends are present? How will we be evaluated? How, How will maybe people wrongly perceive us if we get too close to them? And sadly, sometimes the harshest of those judgments is from our church friends. Unfortunately, sometimes the truth is some of those harshest judgments are from the very people that we worship with, that we we study the Bible with, because the truth is that many of the people we are called to be good neighbors to are far from the kingdom of God. And their actions and their activities don't respect and honor our belief and our practices. But if we take this neighboring thing seriously, we will quickly find ourselves in environments and situations that you may never dreamed you would be in, never dreamed you, you envisioned you would be in. But that fear of judgment has to submit to the power of God. The third thing is messiness. Messiness, you know, being a good neighbor requires entering into like the complicated challenges of, of people's lives. It, it's entering into, into places and spaces of things that, that we would prefer not to. In fact, most of us have full plates already. We talked about this last week. Most of us struggle to keep our own stuff together. There seems to be little capacity for helping other people with their challenges and their struggles and their complications. And yet being a good neighbor seems to demand a willingness to enter into the chaos that we see around us. So fear of rejection, fear of judgment, fear of messiness. You can probably think of other reasons why it's difficult to invite people into your life and and to share your faith with them. But all of these things can seriously limit our ability to be good neighbors and our ability to be redemptive influences in the lives of our neighbors. Okay, so let's end with this concept. So I've convinced you, you potentially have fears about neighboring, at least fears about spiders. How do we overcome these fears? How do we overcome these fears? In fact, how do we overcome fear in general? Maybe it's not specifically about neighboring. Maybe God is working on you this morning about a different fear. So let's go back to the Adam and Eve story where we started. The way fear entered the story is by a change of perspective. So in the same way it comes in, is the same way it gets out. And the same shift of perspective that put fear into Adam and Eve's understanding is the same shift in perspective that takes fear out of the equation. Eradicating fear requires changing our perspective. Now, Jesus talked a lot about fear and worry and anxiety. He knew humanity would deal with it. In fact, you may recall that in one of Jesus' most profound teachings on worry in Matthew chapter 6, he tells his followers not to worry about their life, and I believe he would encompass fears about neighboring, but instead to seek the kingdom of God. I just want to read it to you this morning. It says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Matthew chapter 6 comes at the end of this sermon that is best known as Sermon on the Mount, and this talks all about living in the kingdom of God. And what is evident about life in the kingdom is that it is life from a different perspective. Life in the kingdom is life from a different perspective. In fact, that's, that's the takeaway today. Uh, if you leave here today and someone asks you what church is about, this is what I want you to say. Life in the kingdom of God is life from a different perspective. It's life from a different perspective. It's no longer life from this fallen world perspective of Adam and Eve, this perspective of nakedness and fear, but it is a life lived with new identity and awareness of who we are. And as we possess as the kingdom of, as a citizen of the kingdom of God, it's life from that perspective. Now, I really believe that this is undoubtedly why Paul urged his readers in Philippians chapter four, not to worry, but to pray. That's what he says is the combat of worry, pray. You wanna know why he says to pray? Because prayer awakens my awareness of the kingdom of God. Prayer awakens my awareness of the kingdom of God. And so prayer alerts me to and aligns me with my place in God's kingdom. And so in response to fear and anxiousness, I pray awakening of who I am. I pray awakening of what I possess as a citizen of the kingdom of God. I pray a different perspective in my mind. And then all of that fear and anxiousness and worry cannot exist within that perspective. Now, at any moment, you can, like, grab it again. You can pick back up that fear and worry. It is not very far away. How many of you know that? Perhaps maybe you have a day where you're able to, like, surrender this issue or situation to the Lord. Monday's going really good. Tuesday, you wake up, and it's, like, game over, right? Oh, I thought I was over it. And I feel like God is saying every single day, Seek first his kingdom, enough for that day, and say, for this day, my perspective is God is enough. He has it taken care of. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God is enough for today. And my perspective is in the kingdom of God today. And then the next day you wake up and you say, all right, today's the next day. I need to make sure my perspective is in the kingdom of God. And you work on that, and you work hard on that. And I believe as you do that, your mind aligns with the kingdom of God and, and you can begin to live in freedom from those fears and anxieties and all of those things that we worry about all the time. So, so as it relates to neighboring, to my fear of rejection, the perspective of rejection, I realize that, you know what, I'm a child of God. I'm infinitely loved and accepted by him. So, so it doesn't matter who rejects me. I read this um, scripture this week that said, uh, if God is for you, no one can be against you. And the author I was reading it wrote, if God is for you, no one can be against you, that counts. And I thought, well, that makes more sense because it feels like people are still against me. But they don't count. <laughs> they don't count because from my perspective, my value and worth are determined by his acceptance of me, not by how anyone else treats or responds to me. So those fear and worry and anxiousness of being rejected can dissipate. My fear of being judged, my fear of judgment, I realize that I live in the unshakable kingdom of God. And my value and my identity is determined by my citizenship in that kingdom and my place and my status as a citizen of that kingdom and that position is unshakable. So who cares what someone else thinks of me because I know who I am and I know where I am and I know where I live. To my fear of the messiness 
I recognize that the resources I possess as a citizen of the kingdom of God are limitless. <laughs> that, that situation may look so tricky and difficult, but what took years to make the mess, God can resolve in a moment because of who he is. Because he is limitless. It is not all the things I have to help someone. We are connected to, to the God of, of the universe who has every resource and every solution. And everything worked out. A change in perspective brought fear into the creation story. But a renewed perspective drives out fear as we see our lives in terms of being citizens of heaven's kingdom. So, want to be a good neighbor? Want to, want to kill this neighboring thing? Let me tell you how to do it. Commit to reading your Bible and praying every day. And it really is that simple. Because as we live in that kingdom of God, we live out the kingdom ideals and values. We love God. We love our neighbors. And as we pursue these two objectives, something happens. Something happens in us. And then all of our fears of, of approaching people, of rejection, of judgment, of messiness, all the other things that we have begin to shift because we have a kingdom perspective. And God will bless you with opportunities and experiences that you never dreamed possible. And, and God will bless uh, those around you with redemptive work. And, and this will be an incredible place to live, an incredible place to be. And we'll be able to cross over into the land of, of Canaan where there's milk and, and honey and flowing and blessing and favor and all of the things that God wants for us as we live this life in abundance, not just on the other side. Now, as I close today, I want to remind you that um, the Dave Runyon, who's the author of this book that we've been talking about, uh, will be here next weekend, Saturday morning, um, from 9 to noon at Grace Church, and all the churches that are going through this book are going to gather there, and he's going to do uh, a, a few hours of training of how to uh, reach your neighbor, how you can love your actual neighbor, some really practical things. I think uh, some of you are probably thinking, I've been a Christian for a really long time, I know how to do this stuff, but I think we could all use a little dusting off and a little trigger, a little excitement about what God wants for us as we share our faith. And then we'll also have a panel discussion. It'll go from 9 to noon uh, with some people from each of our churches talking about how they've had successful experiences neighboring. So it can really give you a good perspective and some good tools to actually live out this series on purpose. So I'm going to pray for us this morning. If you'd stand up. Let's pray together. God, we come before you today, and we thank you so much for your um, efforts to eradicate fear from our lives, God. That you have seen that this is a problem, that you have seen that this is something we deal with as humanity. But Father God, you want so badly to eradicate that fear so that we can live in full purpose and in full destiny, Lord. And I just pray this morning that you would help us overcome our fears. That you would help us especially overcome our fears about neighboring. And that this region would be different because we are taking seriously your command to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
God, I pray for divine appointments for each person in this room, Lord, that you would uh, give them opportunity to meet those that live near them and around them or those that they shop with or work out with or, or people in their lives, God, that you would help us not be so rushed and hurried that we miss the people, the people that you love, the people that you died on a cross for, God, the people that your heart beats for, that we would not miss them. And I pray, God, that you would give us just moments of reality this week, Lord, that we could change our perspective and walk in the truth and the power, knowing who you are. God, we love you, and we give you praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, everyone.